Hello, and welcome to TF Extra, the in-betweeny podcasts which are going to fill the weekly void whilst Claire Southworth is recording the next series of Talking Flutes. My name is Jean-Paul Wright. The opening music was from a good buddy of mine called Jose Valentino, entitled Celebration, from his album Ahora Makinonka, or Now More Than Ever. Links to this can be found on Jose's website, josevalentino.com, or via cdbaby.com slash josevalentino. Now, how will TF Extra podcasts differ from Claire's own talking flutes? Well, we are going to be the light version. So to ensure that I don't go off piste, I'll also be looking at all things fluty. We'll be speaking with technical guys, repairers, interviewing popular fluty tooty players from the world of social media and hopefully bringing a little humour to what is sometimes viewed as a serious classical instrument paid by serious classical people. Now, you know as well as I, you get serious classical players and you also get those that are, well to be perfectly honest, barking mad. So I'm hopefully going to steer a line straight through the middle. But for those that know me, (laughs) you know that sometimes I'll be one side and sometimes I'll be the other. So I think the most important thing is I try to keep online. So this week, what do we got to look forward to? Well, I'm going to be introducing the joke of the week. And I'll be making a telephone call to London to a good chum of mine who seems to know joke after joke. Now, I don't know about you, but I can never remember them. So if I'm in need of a smile, a laugh, I give Graham a call. We're also going to be taking a very brief look at the world of social media, which more and more musicians now are investing a lot of time in. And to be honest, I can understand why. And I'll also be interviewing Roderick Seed, the author of a fantastic new book that's just been released called Mastering the Flute with William Bennett. So jumping straight in to social media, the big one, Facebook. I doubt if there's anybody on the planet, let's face it, there's 2 billion people that actively use Facebook. So it's defined online as a popular free social networking website that that allows registered users to create profiles, upload photos and videos, send messages and keep in touch with friends, family and colleagues. Well, you know, in the perfect world, that's what it is. But... There's so much going on with Facebook nowadays with regards to news and other algorithmic changes, which drives me absolutely nuts. And I'll tell you what I mean by that is that I follow quite a few people and yet I very rarely see when they make a post. And there is ways that you can now make sure that you can see the people you want to see in your feeds. However, it's now not as freely interactive as it used to be. So I doubt whether I have to explain any further as to what Facebook is and how to use it. From a corporate perspective, with regards to Trevor Jane's brand, I actually find it very useful to keep our 25,000 followers up to date. We use it to throw out images or information on testing of new prototypes, uh, any events we're doing, and just general fluty stuff. So Facebook, from a corporate perspective, is a very good platform to keep our audience involved and we often send our instruments for testing. Yeah, so some of our Facebook uh, interactive users will often come forward and say, if you want any testing done, please let us know. And yes, we, we use them and their feedback is very important. In fact, it's vital in our development. 
Now, Instagram. Now, I really do like the Instagram app. For those of you who don't use it, and, you know, there will be quite a lot of you that don't, but it's defined as a social networking app made for sharing photos and videos from a smartphone. Similar to Facebook or Twitter, everyone who creates an Instagram account has a profile and a news feed. So, in effect, when you post a photo or video on Instagram, it will be displayed on your profile. Now, it's a very popular social media platform and to be perfectly frank seems to be one where a lot of the younger generation are moving away from Facebook and going to but whilst it's not the same as the original photo only facility Instagram has widened out to include daily news feed obviously direct messaging facility and allows you to put up pics and short 10 second videos of your day which disappear after 24 hours you can also add 60 second videos along with your photographic posting which means that you know if you're having a good day and you're playing and you want to show upload a picture of you uh, performing or you've got a picture of a flute or you've got in my case a picture of a red coffee cup or you've got 60 seconds of a of you performing in a recital and a concert then Instagram gives you the perfect medium in which to upload the interactivity comes through other people seeing your images your videos and liking and leaving comments. Now there is also collaboration, a lot of collaboration on Instagram using the Acapella app. Acapella app has been very interesting in that it allows split screen use. So for example, somebody can record a part in Norway, send that link to another instrumentalist living in Brazil. They can record another part to this tune. They can then send it on to America and somebody else can record another part. And it's a video and audio recording facility. So you stick your headphone in and you just record. And acapella has become very popular on Instagram. And certainly in the flute field, there's been lots and lots of collaborations between flute players, flute groups, and it's widening out to flute and guitar, flute and harp, flute and piano. And again, it is a different medium that allows your music, your personality, as a flute player to be put out there to the masses you can take the original file by the way and upload them onto all the other social media platforms so instagram i really really like and one that i find from a corporate perspective means that we can get immediate feedback from our many contacts and players twitter now twitter is an interesting one is that i joined twitter just after it first started and have the generic at flute tag now, Twitter's become probably a platform for people moaning or people making statements and then opening up a general dialogue, which can go on for pages and pages and pages in a feed. I, I do find Twitter very useful because a lot of people put up concert dates, a lot of people put up videos, performance videos. They do cross-linking between if they put a video up on YouTube or Facebook. They can then inform their followers on Twitter of this via a link. So I actually find Twitter very useful from a personal perspective. From a corporate perspective, I'm not quite sure how important it would be, but say I enjoy it. Now, YouTube. YouTube, I don't have to say anything. If you've got a broken tap in your house, you need to replace a plug, you need to dig a hole in your garden, if you need to fix your car, YouTube is the first port of reference. Well, it is for me anyway. How do flute players use it? Well, they upload videos, tutorials, and many flute players I know have their own YouTube accounts. 
So YouTube, you can also cross-fertilize on all your other social medias. So in essence, social media is a complete cross-fertilization platform for yourself as an individual or yourself as an individual and a musician. The new app that's just been publicized is called Vero. And Vero is apparently, and we have got a couple of accounts on here, going to be almost like Facebook without the ads. And they are committed to providing no algorithm changes, but more importantly, that when you post up pictures, your people within your feed will receive sight. Now, websites. Do you have your own website? A lot of flute players I know and musicians in general have their own website purely as a focal point for people to find out who they are and to look at their resources. So, for example, if you've got a Facebook, YouTube, Instagram or Twitter account, you can have all these linked from your own personal website. In effect, you have this this encyclopedia of you online. Now, for us personally, we have quite a few websites depending on where you're entering in. So, for example, if you're listening to this from America, you can visit tjflutes.com, scroll down the homepage, and you will find a box saying social media. If you click on that box, it will then give you all the links to each one of our websites. If you're visiting from outside the USA, visit trevorjamesflutes.com and the same thing, homepage, social media tab, and then all the links are there. So we love social media. We love it for the interaction. We love the fact that we can get immediate response. So we put something up and within three, four, five seconds, there is either a comment, a like, or there is something that's coming back that we can utilize. If in the unlikely event that you're not on social media, then it's worth having a, a look. I will pre-warn you that it could probably take a lot of time out of your life because it does become very addictive, especially Instagram and all the interaction that's going on. So you really do need to find yourself a definite work-life balance when it comes to your own personal interaction on these platforms. Hello, London. It is London calling. Graham, you got a joke a very, for me? A very Merry Christmas to all you lot in Flutie Tootie Land. <laughs> Christmas? <laughs> you got your date skewed there. Have you got a joke for me, Graham? I've got a joke for you, yes. Uh, what's the definition of perfect pitch? Um, do you know, I don't know. What is the definition of perfect pitch, Graham? When you throw a banjo in the garbage... And it hits an accordion. <laughs> anyway, see you around. Back to reality. And I'm now joined via Skype by a British guy who lives in Vancouver, Canada. Yeah, for those of you who didn't know where Vancouver was, of course it's in Canada. I can hear him <laughs> laughing in the background. Now, he graduated from the Royal Academy of Music in 2009 where he studied there with William Bennett. Now, William Bennett will forever in this podcast be known as Wib, because everybody knows William Bennett refers to him as Wib. That's W-I-B-B. -B. 
Right, this chap is a first prize winner at the Alexander and Bueno International Flute Competition and has performed at the Recital Hall at Carnegie Hall, which is impressive in itself. He's an accomplished flute player and teacher. I first came across this chap on Instagram, and I think, Rod, my first comment to you on Instagram was, that sound, question mark. (laughs) Question mark. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so the chap in question is Roderick Seed, or Rod Seed, and good morning to you, sir. Good morning. Nice to talk to you. And you too. Right, a typical English question to start the day. How's the weather doing in Vancouver? Well, it's very British here. It's it's raining, it's windy, and we're all complaining about it. So I think it's uh, British Columbia (laughs) is very British in that regard nothing changes does it so apart from the fact that you're thousands of miles away you're really yeah. at home then yes very much so <laughs> it's, uh, it's very nice though it's, it's got beautiful uh, mountains uh, seaside lots of things going for it so it's good yeah Even on a rainy day so i'll go back to that first comment that sound question mark the reason i put a question mark was because i hadn't heard you play before in fact i hadn't heard of you because I'm, right. compared to you, I'm generations in advance, year-wise. And that sound was something that, certainly over Instagram, where it compresses the digital, it was absolutely gorgeous. And, oh, so, since, and so since, as you probably gather, I use, que- I use exclamation marks now, rather than question <laughs> okay. marks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they do compress the sound. It is, um, it is a strange thing, but... Um... Yeah, you do what you do with the equipment you have. And yeah, just try and put something across that shows what you are about, I guess, on Instagram. Yeah, and see, well, Instagram just seems to be quite popular with flute players. Um, but more importantly, with, again, let's go back to that sound very briefly, because that's going to lead into something that you've written. But when I first went to an English flute professor in London called James Dower, who's sadly not with us any longer... Mm-hmm. Um, I went for an audition and James said, what are you going to play? And I went, the first movement of the e-bear. <laughs> so I was quite cocky in those, I was quite cocky in those days. And um, so I played it with the piano and at the end of it, he was sat in the corner, not saying anything. And at the end of it, he said, um, how do you think that went? I went, oh, it went really well. He said, um, put it this way, if I was walking down the road and heard you play that on the other side of the road, I wouldn't cross over to see who you were. He said, oh. no, he said, now play me the middle movement of the Ebert. Make my heart weep. Communicate to me. And that was really the first time that I got to understand that it was the sound of the flute, the depth of tone, the colours that draw people in. It's the sound that makes you weep. Mm-hmm. When you hear yeah. somebody play fast, you can, you, can last, you can go with that for a little while. Yeah. But after a while, your eyes and your ears and everything just gets a bit numb to it. But yet it's that tone, that sound that yeah. opens everything up. Absolutely. So I'm going to go straight in with a question here. Let's sure. talk about mastering the flute with William Bennett. You set yourself yeah. a challenge with that one, didn't you? <laughs> yes, very much so. I, I was asked to do it like off the cuff, really, when I was in my last year of the academy and um, Webb's wife in fact Mitchy she said oh you write quite well could you write a book 
because I'd written a few of their sleeve notes for their CDs, um, and they were mildly impressed by them. So I was asked to do it, and I said, okay, sure, I'll do it. And then it took like five years after that point to really get a first draft ready to send off to publishers. It took a long time to collate all the exercises and put them in a, a logical order. That was the hardest part of that was yeah, the order of all those things. So did you decide the order and the, the process of writing yourself, or did you closely collaborate with Mitchie and Wibb on it? Um, it was mostly myself. I, um, I got all the notes that I'd made over the years since I was about 15. Um, that was my first summer school uh, with Wibb. And then, yeah, after the academy, I just collated it all, and I tried to put it in order, and then I asked Wibb, is that a good order? And he's like, well, I think you should put it in another order. (laughs) (laughs) And then he made me change a lot of things, which was good because it's good to get his direct feedback on them. Uh, I'll probably tell you about one of those things later, about the reaction in the sound. We had a lot of back and forth on that one. (laughs) All friendly, but yeah, there was a lot of discussion on that one. But the final order, it it was my... Now, I, amongst many of the listeners, will be not only a fan, but a true admirer of the unique talent that is Wib. Mm -hmm. The sound he makes, the volume he makes, the ability to speak wherever you're sat in an auditorium seems to be beyond uh, comparison. So coming up with this book that's actually acceptable to Wib is a feat in itself, good sir. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he was. Um, I got some nice comments from him on a lot of the stuff, and it was it was very nice. Yeah, brilliant. Well, yeah, I will give you my comments at the end, but because I absolutely adore it. But I think I've already told you this before. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> right. You, you begin the book with the true essence of playing the flute, which is finding where the note speaks, which is a very simple and straightforward process. You would think. And yet something so fundamental to each flute player that how many of us actually know where our sound speaks on each note? This is something I actually found quite difficult when I started doing it, is, is that you, you, you describe in detail how to locate it, but obviously that's different for each individual player. Sure. Basically, the, the exercise is finding where if you just blew over the flute, you just get air. Um, so blow above the embouchure hole and it's finding the point where the air becomes sound the very start of the sound mm-hmm. so it's not when you just blow a note and it comes out immediately that's that's a, called a clear attack but this one is the soft attack where you just creep in and find that the sound um, so that's really difficult without all the whistly sounds that you get as well when you try to find a sound or finish a sound string players and singers do it where the air is already moving. So that's why Wib sort of encourages to blow above the flute and then lower the air stream down um, so that your air is already moving and the sound doesn't have this immediate punch. Um, yeah. And the string players, it's where the bow is moving already. It's not just on the string and go, but yeah, it's already moving. So that's, that's kind of the theory behind that exercise. Well, in doing this myself, what surprised me was the amount of variance between when the sound actually, the airstream splits, 
and then when you drop your jaw back and the sound goes down, there seems to be such a wide variance of sound. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so the, the exercise is, is to find that very beginning and just increase the sound slightly. Um, if you go too far, you've kind of, you're not working on those muscles at the very tip of the sound. So it's, yes, yeah, it's, it's very finely tuned. Um, but yeah, there is a huge variety of sound, which is great because then you can play with different colors and things. What's frustrating is I thought I found a D yesterday, first octave D, and then, yeah. sorry, D2, and then I went back today and it wasn't there. It decided to go walkabouts. <laughs> right. <laughs> I see. So, uh, so what, what did you find was different on the second time? It just wasn't as round. There, there, was, there, wasn't, there didn't seem to be the depth there. And I went sort of looking up and looking down. It took me a little while to actually yeah. find it again. Yeah. And uh, Something that um, Lorna McGee taught me uh, when I had lessons with her is that you never put your foot in the same river. That metaphor where you... Oh, yeah. You never get the same sound. Once you've made that sound, it's gone. You'll never get it back. But if you go through the process of finding the sound that you want, you'll, you'll get a sound which is different, but it will be something that you aimed for. So that's, that's how I think of that. So you don't get the D that you got yesterday, but maybe get a better one. Well, but so, yeah, but saying that, Rod, perhaps, <laughs> perhaps it was my ears. <laughs> perhaps it was my ears yesterday, because they change, don't they? We can often stray away from the core sounds. What recommendations would you have for flute players who feel that they have possibly lost their sound or are still searching for their personality? Um, yeah, I was thinking about like the core and the personality, and I think core is like the lead in the pencil, isn't it? It's, yeah. like, it's what makes the artwork and that's what you need. Uh, that's the essence of the sound. And I think to find that, there's a couple of exercises in the book. You could try like uh, pitch bending, yeah. coming into a sound where the harmonics, the octave is in tune with its uh, with the fundamental, the lower note that you play. And then trying a shakuhachi exercise is one of them where you need really good focused airstream for the sound to be made. And yeah, playing with that sort of focus, no waste of air, I remember Wib in my first class, he made me sing the beginning of a Bach, uh, I think it was the E minor sonata. I played it for him and I was 15 and I was, I want to make this Wib sound and a big sound and I think I was just blowing too much and he said, sing it. And so I sang it quite badly, but he's like, how much air did you use for that? And I was like, well, not that much. He's like, exactly, you don't need a huge amount of air to get a huge sound. You just need to make sure the harmonics are in tune. So I think to find the core of the sound, the harmonics have to be in tune. And you make that, um, you, you make that very um, obvious in the early chapters of the book, in that it's important yeah. that we tune each note up. Well, we tune the flute up to start with, but we make sure that each yeah. note is in tune. Yeah, exactly. Finding where your flute is really balanced, so the head joint position, you do the, the harmonics exercises to find a balanced place for your flute um, and that's where you, you don't have to move around each note too much it should be if the scale of the flute is good then you don't need to adjust it too much and um, so it's balanced yeah and that's one thing I have I found since I started using this book 
is that I used to tune the flute up to two or three different harmonics, but when you go higher up and you, you hear this, this slight variance yeah. in the, sort of the third and fourth partials, that if you can yeah. tune the flute up and just make those minute changes, it's almost so the flute becomes alive in your hands. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's really resonant when the, the harmonics are in tune. It just, you don't have to try hard. It's just, it's just there. I agree. The pitch bending, I love that because trying to get a third, trying to bend that note down a third is, yeah. well, I had no chance. I mean, I was, I was trying to measure it. I actually got down a, a tone, but to go a third. Tone's good. Yeah. Tone's very good. I think, um, Wib can do yeah, a, like a major third on a C, but he said, oh, don't write that I can do a major third in every note because I can't. <laughs> so I think on the lower notes, it's, it's harder going down. But he, he can still do like minor third or something like that on every note. So I think that's what you aim for. It's very impressive. But yeah, it's great for the flexibility getting when you play in an orchestra and you're, you're flat or something and you can push the pitch up or if you're too sharp, you can bring it down. Um, so having that flexibility is really important and essential really for orchestra and playing with other people. Well, it was very well written, and, and, it, and it, it's got me trying to do it because ultimately I actually want to go as far as I can and get as wide a jump as I, I can. The shakuhachi is it's, it's fascinating. I, liked, I like that because I'd never done it before, taking the head joint off, turn the flute downwards, thinking, oh, this yeah. is easy, and then, oh, my word, that's not the easiest thing <laughs> to do, is it, to get the sound? No, it's really hard, yeah. Have you ever tried a real shakuhachi? No. Okay, so I was in Japan, and I tried a real one, and they are really hard. It's it's really hard to get the sound, but um, the flute, how you take the head joint off, yes, it's it's really hard, but once you've found that point where the air hits the back edge, you get that, and with the, the corners of the lips brought down a bit more, mm-hmm. when you play a melody with the in the low register after that, it's just so easy, it's really nice. So it's good to do just like five minutes of that and then go to your Carmen melody or whatever and just have a good old honk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you could take a photograph, you'd just look like a grumpy old flute player when you're playing the, uh, <laughs> yeah. the shakuhachi. <laughs> I think it suits British British guys, grumpy guys. <laughs> <laughs> now, a particular chapter... I found it fascinating, certainly to see it down on paper, was the chapter three, which was the reaction in the sound. Mm-hmm. Can you describe the importance of that subject to flute players? Yeah, I think it's, um, it's what really connects us uh, as, a, as a human, as our bodies, to the flute. So we're, we're making a one instrument rather than the flute doing all the work. So it's, it's really coming from us. We've got this from Moise. Moyes said once, when I do something in my body, the flute, it reacts. Obviously with a very French accent, which I can't do. (laughs) Um, And basically when you play loud, it goes sharp. And when you play softly, it goes quietly. So you get this this reaction in the sound from what you've done in the body. So if you say, ha, 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 and then blow like that, the flute will respond to it. So whatever you do uh, in your body, the flute responds and then Moyes said that was expressive. And Wib, I think at the time, he heard Moyes playing flat and sharp, and he was like, oh, that sounds terrible. And uh, <laughs> so he went away trying to be expressive, but also controlling the pitch, and that's where the, 
the jaw movements are involved, covering and uncovering. But yeah, he often gets people to bend all the way over and um, bark like a dog, uh, or howl, or sing uh, Mozart tutties and things like that, just to connect your voice, connect how you talk even to the flute. So it should be possible. Every nuance that you do when you talk should be possible on the flute. And what I'm finding is that as you as you start as I'm exploring these exercises you've written down when you try and go back to your natural flute playing style the sound is just bigger because you've been doing all these weird and wacky things with your chops and with the sound that when you try and go back to that core sound it's bigger yeah absolutely it's it's I don't know what it is really I think it's partly warming up the muscles but it's also letting yourself go a bit more a lot of students are very shy when they play to someone like Wib and he just gets them opening up um, like they never have before and that their sound just doubles at least so yeah it's, it's just letting yourself be immersed in the sound so going through this book there seems to be well to me anyway to be not one wasted page or topic everything in it is demanding attention and action, which is the key thing. It's not a tutor that is just with lots of notes and exercises written down. So personally, I did enjoy the prosody chapter because it's something that every person on this planet utilises with their speech. And yet in turn, it also has an important and vital part to play in our musical communication. And yet I've never seen it written down as clearly before. So, yeah. so can you describe Wibb's sort of <laughs> elephants and taxis? I know it's written down very clearly in the book. However, yeah. on this audio pod, can you explain what it is? Okay. Well, it's, yeah, elephants and taxis are, are Wibb's kind of catchphrases. Like, you'll never go to a class without hearing that. And I think, again, he got it from Moyes, where Moyes would say je t'aime instead of je t'aime or something. So the... The emphasis or the rhythm and the stress of speech is what prosody is. And so when you have something like a, a Mozart concerto, the it's an elephant, not an elephant. Yeah. So you, you accent the, the first beat there, the first note. And elephants can go up, they can go down, they can go across, but they're always elephants, not yeah. elephants. <laughs> so uh, that's important there. I think composers had that in their mind when they were writing it's just natural for them music was written for text it was written for dance so it it has that automatic stress and release uh, you can also get taxis which are two notes so taxi not taxi um, and you can get strange little things like potatoes mm, um, which you'll find in <laughs> martinu uh, potato i, I love you I, lo- I love you's a good one isn't it Yes, it is, yeah. If you play the Sansons Romance, there's, simply because it's called Romance, there's a lot of I Love Yous in that piece. So if you find all of those, then you can bring them about. So it's preparation of the note, stress the note, and then release it. So I love you, not I love you. The best way to do that is to literally sing or speak and find out how you how you do it with your voice, put words to melodies, mm. um, however weird they might be, just to get the, the stress and the rhythm of that, and then try and do it on the flute. So. 
through intonation exercises, whistle tones, harmonic <coughs> exercises, through to flexibility, you've managed to condense a huge amount of wisdom in this wonderful book. Thank you. So the main question fun. is, how do people get their hands on it, Rod? Well, if you're in England and Europe, uh, you can go to the flute shops, like Just Flutes, uh, All Flutes Plus, uh, Top Winds. I think they've all got it in stock. Yes, they have, yeah. Otherwise, you can go on Amazon or the Indiana University Press website uh, if you're in America. And uh, on my Facebook page, you'll see a list of places where it's available. So you can see which country you're in and then you can order the book from there. That's probably a good way to find. And I'm unashamedly going to plug the fact that you actually do Skype lessons. So if anybody buys these, this book and I strongly yeah. recommend they do, then to make contact with you, because what better than to have the author of the book taking you uh -huh. through it, especially when you hit brick walls, as you do, because we've all learned to play the flute certain ways, uh -huh. and in yeah. using this book, we're trying to unlock other areas, which Wib does yeah. very successfully in these classes, and we need a helping hand every now and then, Rod. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, if you want to get in touch... Please do. So what's next for Roderick C., the musician and author? Well, um, in Vancouver, we've got a flute day coming up. We're doing a, a, on the 14th of April. I'm just going to plug this one. <laughs> we have a day of workshops with the Alexander Technique and Dark Rose Eurythmics all combined in one day. So it's a, a unique kind of day for the flute, playing in the VSO orchestra occasionally as a free arts. And I've got a Mozart concerto next season with another orchestra. So that's all the things I'm kind of working on at the moment. And what do you do, Rob, when you have downtime away from the instrument? Do you actually have downtime? Do you go fishing or into soccer? <laughs> what do you do? What does Rod do? Is that because my name's Rod? You yeah. <laughs> that's a subliminal um, link. <laughs> oh, I go for walks with my dog. I've got a, a mini pincher. Uh, she's very cute, and I take her around Vancouver. Sometimes do a bit of baking if I'm feeling hungry. <laughs> I will make a, a nice cake or something. Um, but yeah, otherwise I'm practicing. If I've got the time, I, I want to practice. And finally, how do listeners find out more about you, Rod, and what you are doing? In other words, give me your website and social media uh, details. Okay, um, my website is roderickseedflute.com. Mm -hmm. pretty easy. I also do a blog called Rod Flute Blog, which is a, a WordPress blog. And you can find all my um, Facebooks, Instagrams, those things on my website. Uh, there's links there. So I think that's, that's the easiest way is just to click it. Well, I would like firstly like to thank you for taking your valuable morning time. It's sort of early evening here. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, thank you for having me. And I, and I hope your day picks up. It's Today looks like we are on the, the rise temperature-wise for the rest of the week. Oh, good. Do you know, complete full circle, two Englishmen talking about the weather. You start and finish <laughs> yeah. without the weather. <laughs> Website links and social media channels, all the information will be included underneath this podcast. So, Rod, thank you once again. Good luck with the flute day. Thank you very much. And Have a great day. Yeah, it will be great. And, you know, if you want to laugh, I may send you a video, an audio recording of me honking, just to sh show you how I'm, how I'm getting yeah. on with your book. With your elephants and taxis. Yeah, I, as again, I sound like a drainpipe sometimes. Yeah, I'd love to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. not, for not, not for public consumption. 
<laughs> Roderick Seed, composer, author, flute player, uh, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much. So, I have a few fluty events to let you know about in advance. The National Flute Association Convention this year is being held in Orlando from August the 9th to the 12th. Information on tickets can be found at nfaonline.org. Now, the British Flute Society are organising a future flute fest summer festival being held at St John Smith Square in London on the 17th to the 19th of August. You can find details of this on the website bfs.org.uk. Now, one event that's going to be really, really fun this year is the Big Flute Festival being held at the Royal Irish Academy of Music in Dublin from the 31st of August to the 2nd of September. You can find details on bigflutefestival.com. So, thank you very much for putting up with me. Next week, please join me when I'm going to be interviewing Jose Valentino. We'll have Joke of the Week from Graham Turner. And in the meantime, have a fantastic week. Goodbye. TF Extra is a podcast production for Trevor James Flutes. More details can be found at trevorjamesflutes.com.